You're listening to the Do More Good podcast, coming live from the Scottish Conference in Glasgow. The Do More Good podcast. Do More podcast. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast, so good for you. Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast from the Scottish Fundraising Conference here in Glasgow. Say we're live at the Scottish Conference 2022. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Uh, you're listening to the Do More Good. Uh, you uh, you're listening to the Do More Good podcast live from the Scottish Conference. Is that the Scottish Conference? <laughs> we got there. Please now check that your table is folded away. Your seat is upright with the armrest down. Your seatbelt is securely fastened and your window blind is fully open. Two years on from the invitation, we are finally on our way to Glasgow for the Scottish Fundraising Conference. Postponed twice already, the new date means that Kenneth can't make it and he'll be missed. Nowhere more than the dance floor at midnight tonight. Before then, we'll be checking in with speakers and delegates, highlighting the key learnings and capturing the takeaways. And despite another snub in the nominations, documenting the first in-person Scottish fundraising awards since 2019. And we'll be heading home tomorrow with enough content for a three-episode mini-series in the suitcase. This show followed by two in-depth chats. Keep an eye out for those. Meanwhile, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's head over to the hotel and get started. A very warm welcome to Glasgow. The time is now 10 past 8 in the morning. Please remain seated if a seatbelt fastener to the fastened seatbelt signs have been switched off. When it's safe, take your seats, take care of any Turning up and you are still changing lives every day. 
So today, I'm going to say, take time for you. Take time to stop, take time to reflect, and take time to learn and reconnect with your peers, all those people who will have your back as we face the future. So now onto the business of conference. I need to say a huge thank you to our co-chairs, Susan Williams and Gary Carnahan, and the rest of the conference committee. This is very time lucky. Some other things to look out for in your programme for the next couple of days. Do more good podcast team are on hand. I see them looking out the front here. They all terrify me slightly because they, they wield microphones and want to ask questions. So if somebody does put a microphone in your face, chat to them. They're not into a scary real life as you think they might be. But do look out for the podcast. Download it afterwards. They will be doing some in, kind of in-depth interviews, some discussion stuff, more in-depth in- interviews for both speakers and delegates. So do go oh, please and check them out. And as delegates, please use this uh, Scott Okay, so we're just out of the plenary session this morning and I have managed to catch Sarah, a member of the committee who have pulled together the conference over the next couple of days to catch up on how it's been. How are you? I am so excited that we're actually here. It's all come together. It's been 982 days since the conference was last in Scotland. Um, We've had a couple of false starts along the way. We've had to postpone twice. So it just feels so wonderful to actually be here and to be in a room with all these wonderful fundraisers. Yeah, it has been really nice just to see people face to face. And obviously, I'm from down south say it quietly but coming here and I've recognised people and seen people again and, yeah. and I'm you know, hundreds of miles from home it must be lovely for you to yeah. actually see it all come together absolutely the, the phrase I keep hearing today is can we hug um, that seems to be people are just so happy to see each other in person and to make that connection it's, it's really special yeah yeah great Virginia gave a wonderful speech just now about thanking people. Felt it was quite emotional in the room. It was more emotional than I was expecting, to be honest. I think it was really important that she did acknowledge that we have had a really rubbish time yeah. um, over the past two years, and there have been a lot of fundraisers that have been furloughed. There's been fundraisers that have unfortunately lost their jobs. So it's really important to take time to recognise that. And there's also been fundraisers that have been put under pressure in completely new way, a lot of pressure on trust fundraisers for example to bring yeah. in income that they haven't done before and all that sort of thing so it's been yeah, it's been a really really rough time so I think it was really important that she talked about that and just to know that we're kind of all in the same boat together, it's really nice When you were putting together the programme for this, we are in a completely different environment, the way that we work and, and the, the kind of pressures that we're under is totally different, have you kept speakers on that you were planning to have in 2020 and have they just had to adapt their presentations maybe? It's been a bit of both to be honest, we have seen quite a trend in sessions of people talking about how they have dealt with the past couple of years about sort of there's a session called building the plane while flying for example which I think is I saw that I feel I think we all know that feeling we can all relate to that absolutely there's been quite a lot of interest in recruitment as well because obviously recruitment's a key issue in the sector at the moment so ways to try and get those roles filled so I think it's a bit of a mixture but as always it's just about finding out what other charities have been successful in doing And I was just having a conversation with somebody about how the wonderful thing about our sector is that we're not precious about sharing that information. You can always ask another fundraiser and they'll be really happy to, like, 
say, yeah, this worked, or this is a good person to speak to, maybe don't go down this route. So it's just about sharing that information. Yeah, it does feel like, and as you say, the, the, the buzz words of can we hug, it feels like, a, you know, it's, it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. a whole room of people that are coming back together. I can't take credit for this phase. It was actually from uh, Johnson Mailing, or one of our sponsors, but it was the, the gift of knowledge. People are here oh. today to receive the gift of knowledge, which I thought was a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, lovely. And what do you want to get out of this? So you, you, you finally got here. Like you say, you've, you've had to delay it twice. Yeah. What do you want to achieve out of the next couple of days? Uh, Just well, to get off. I, Just go I back to normal. I've been to the conference many times as a speaker and also as a guest. This is my first time doing it as a committee member. My chief priority at the moment is getting out alive, to be honest, because <laughs> I never appreciated how much work that the volunteers put into making this happen. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad to be giving back in that way. Yeah. Well, I must admit, I'm speaking later on today, and I must admit, I've been one of the worst speakers going. I, I, I haven't yet submitted my presentation. I got back to things late. We changed the speakers uh, at the last minute as well. So I fully appreciate and feel quite guilty towards the committee. I'd like to apologise now. Um, there's a lot of stress that goes into organising an event like this and pulling Absolutely. it all together. Uh, we obviously work with a company called Conference Care as well, and I have to say, working with that team is, is really fantastic, and that makes it able to hold an event of this scale, which we really be able to do just as volunteers but yeah like you mm. say chasing down speakers yeah, we'll Sorry. have to have a word about that later <laughs> yeah and it's the second biggest one in the country let's not mention the other one that's it's, it's kind of a big deal so to have it back on the calendar yeah. to be back here in glasgow this year feels like we're beginning to go back to normal oh it's, it's a wee bit of a jinx if you say it like that but yes <laughs> yes let's yes hopefully yeah going back to normal definitely excellent and what's next for you where are you off to next next session I'm really looking forward to the Joe's recruitment session this afternoon. I'm going to make a point of definitely attending that one. Okay. Um, we'll that's enjoy. The one to, not um, to miss for me. And maybe we will catch up a little later on. All right. Thank you. Thanks. You are listening to the Do More Good podcast live from the Scottish Fundraising Conference 2022. No, I'm not doing my Scottish accent. You are dressed in tartan today, I am which is on brand. I'm dressed in tartan. I've got a tartan outfit for tomorrow as well. I'm going to pick one of these lovely cards in front of me that James is thrusting towards towards (laughs) us. Um, So I'm Ashby Jenkins from Ashby Jenkins Recruitment. And which three words sum up this event for me? Oh, I would say networking education and best practice sharing that's three words i've we'll, done six we'll i've done five that's yeah. fine excellent <laughs> stuff and we look forward to seeing the tartan outfits over the next couple of days yeah i'll take photos i've also had iron brew for the first time this morning it's only eight <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant Should we move out the way? Well, it's, I, yeah, yeah, we can stay out of people's way, but I quite like the, back, the background noise is quite okay. good. But then, but that's fine, yeah. So I've been wandering around since that first session and I have bumped into two people who have told me how brilliant Emily's session was just now on digital and managed to spot her across the room and press-ganged her into telling me about it. She mentioned on Twitter this morning on the uh, ScottConf hashtag about how she was coming up without notes and has just let slip to me that her presentation went down behind her midway through the session. How was that for you, Emily? Well, I think the audience seemed to love it, and I think that's the main thing. But I always kind of try not to speak with notes to make it quite natural, to kind of play off the audience reaction. But it was a bit seat of the pants yeah. <laughs> today, but it seemed to go down really well. On that front, like, people who listen to this have, will have to do public speaking at some point. 
I am a massive over-preparer. I've got a session in a, an hour or so. I've written out my notes 47 times, was reading them on the plane on the way up at 4 o'clock this morning. Whereas you seem to take the complete opposite way, that just see where it goes and kind of flow with it as it happens and take the conversation where the audience wants it to go. I think that's definitely something I've learned over time. I used to write an entire script, but then felt that was very forced and not very natural. And I think the beauty of it, I'm always talking about either flexible working or digital fundraising, which are two topics I know inside out and I'm really passionate about. So I do absolutely hate public speaking. I literally haven't eaten this morning because I'm that stressed about public speaking. But I do always take the approach that it's really important to come across as natural and see where the conversation goes. And also be flexible enough that if people ask questions, it can go off on a tangent a bit. So every single presentation I do normally has slides, but will end up completely different because I will use different anecdotes every time. So try and keep it a bit fresh. Well, because people who I have spoken to who've seen you talk at many different things, you say you don't like it, but you're on every single program going have always said that you're, you're really, really good. And it's nice for them, if they've seen you perform before, to come to another one and hear a different anecdote. They'll learn something new from the next session, it sounds like. Yeah, I think that's definitely the thing. It's like, as much as I talk on the same topics, it is going to be new. There's going to be new examples each time. And even I don't know what I'm going to say, so it will be interesting. Wow. But I think that's something that I've learned over time. That approach works for me. Yeah. So today it was all about digital. What are if, if people could take away one or two lessons from what you were talking about earlier, pick two things out of an hour, quite difficult. But what would you what would you tell them to, to focus on? I think I'd probably say that my motto and philosophy is think big. So think about how digital could transform your organization, how it could transform your fundraising. But then that often sounds really scary. So start small and then do some pilots and scale quickly what works and fail fast and don't be afraid of failure. So whatever digital fundraising you are doing, whatever channels or whatever propositions, it's having those key principles in mind throughout everything and that'll hopefully really help you fly with digital. Lovely stuff. And I guess it's always evolving. Digital is is rapidly moving. Everything's changing around us. Much like today. So we're back in a room. There are people face to face. How has that been for you? Have you been to Scotland before? I'm a quarter Scottish. Oh, it's in the conference. Oh, I've never been to Scottish conference before, so first time here. And it's actually my first in-person external conference since February 2020. Nice. And last time I was speaking on the rise of flexible working and calling on the sector to embrace flexible working, which we all know what happened a few weeks after that. So I'm hoping this time round, talking about digital fundraising will have the same effect but it is very strange because there's a lot of people I've got to know kind of online over the last couple of years so there's a lot of people that it's very strange now seeing in real life to see how tall people are or how tall people are that came up in a chat earlier on about yeah Yeah. that kind of zoom window you can't see how tall people are Um, and what are you hoping to so you've done your session what are you hoping to get out of the next couple of days personally for you Well, I think I'm hoping to learn some things about different income streams because I think that's the beauty of coming to these conferences that I know a lot about digital and I speak and go to a lot of digital things, but it's being able to pick and choose from different income streams and also looking at some of that wider sector stuff and what's going on. And I'm popping up tomorrow in a panel on the future fundraising. Nice one. Well, there we go. I'll be attending that one. Emily, thank you very much. As ever, stellar performance. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. 
my name's Chris. Yeah. My name's Jason Jack. I'm the owner at Pure Fundraising. What traits make a good fundraiser? Great cards. Uh, I love that one. A good fundraiser, I'd say, is an honest fundraiser. You know, it's not just signing people up because oh, there's a sign up, but it's doing it for the right, right reasons and it's being honest. You know, you don't just take someone's money because they're trying to hand you it. Do the right thing. Just be honest. Lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I've just finished the session with Mike and Marie about storytelling and I have popped up and pushed my way to the front of the crowd that I'm hoping to catch them at the end just to talk through some of um, some of the things that I scribbled down from the session, if that's okay. And Marie, maybe just at the beginning you were talking about how, as a species, we use storytelling to justify our behaviours and it kind of informs our own views of ourselves and our personalities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I got that from um, Sapiens by Harari. And basically, it's um, what he, he talks about in that book is that the reason that Homo sapiens have survived and, and other species hasn't is because of our ability to justify what we needed to do to survive as stories to ourselves. That's fascinating. Amazing stuff. And you also touched on how we apply that to companies as well, and that companies have, have a really strong story tend to do well. People like Apple, for example. Yeah, you probably have heard of Simon Sinek, who's an ethnographer. So he talks about and works with companies to give them a more human face and to make them more personal. Obviously, for the charity sector, we already have that. We're all about people. But the learning we can take from that is what he talks about, the golden circle. Start with why. So people are interested in who you are as much as what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, yeah, so people are interested in, in, in the faces behind your organisation. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. And then, Mike, you came in and talked to us a little bit about street papers. Now, uh, you asked for a show of hands of people that knew street papers, and then you threw in the big issue, and suddenly everybody's hands shut up. Yeah, absolutely. So we are the international network of street papers. So like you're saying, people in the UK have heard of the big issue, but we exist overseas as well in 35 different countries. So my organisation as a charity is quite exceptional because we are storytellers through and through. We have a number of journalists on staff and we are fundamentally about supporting a network of journalists to tell the stories that are coming from homeless people and people that experience poverty. Yeah, and, and, and also there were some questions at the end about how difficult that might be to kind of protect people's anonymity and also be respectful of that as well a tricky kind of tightrope to walk yeah absolutely I think for me as somebody that's worked in the third sector for quite a long time there's something about moving away from using stories for your charity's own PR gains and essentially providing something back to the person who you're speaking to so if you're dealing with people that are vulnerable have come through very traumatic incidents things happen in their life that are, that are that are really not very pleasant you need to respect where they're at and you need to have some kind of reciprocal way of working together so for me it's about we were chatting earlier on about the kind of verbal contracting which is a buzzy way of saying sit down have a conversation with the person and identify what are they happy to share what do they not want as part of the story as well so for me there's something about being really ethical when charities are asking people to share their stories and making sure people are protected as well from a mental health point of view yeah very important and particularly in particularly in that area um, one final point then for you. You talked there about verbal contracts, but there was a nice lead-in about reading stories to children and how when you do that, perhaps you cover up the pictures, perhaps, and how kids will always push you out of the way and they want to look at the pictures. And actually, that's also applicable in another channel, social media as well, and that coming through there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, picture paints a thousand words, but it's also all your senses. So activating someone's senses is what leads them to then be able to imagine something, be able to remember it, be able to visualise and feel a connection and then act from that place. So it kind of basically lights up their brain. 
Um, I've got a story for you about Sea Rider. Oh, have you? Yeah. Do you want it on here? I'd love it. Yeah. Uh, I, the first t- charity thing I ever did when I was a student is I went to work in this Rider Cheshire home in India. Okay. I was a volunteer over the summer, so I kind of sold everything I had in halls to raise the money, and I went and did voluntary work there. And it was really amazing because it was the first home that Sue Rider and Leonard Cheshire, it's in Dehradun in India, set up once they got married. So it was like a really special place for the two of them. And I heard a brilliant story when I was there because it was a home, it was a leprosy colony and there was a home for people with a range of disabilities and it's a brilliant place. It's called the Raphael, Raphael Home, it's called. Um, and I also visited quite a lot of Sue Ride projects around there. But what the lovely story people told me was they, they got married and they visited it together and Leonard Cheshire did... Um, when it, he went there for Independence Day and uh, lots of people were really celebrating and being kind of really subservient and bowing down to him and stuff. And he got out of his wheelchair and kissed the ground before the people, before he left. As if to say, I'm your servant, you're not mine. Wow. I mean, those two were a serious power couple, yeah, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, really, the really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and talking to great duos, you two were brilliant oh, as well. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoy Thanks the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning, you're listening to the Do More Good podcast live from Glasgow, Scotland. Okay, so Tracy Cotton, and I'm from Aberdeen University. And my question is, in-person meeting or a virtual call? Mm, depends on the person. <laughs> no, I would say... Although I'm a digital person, I would say in-person meeting because it's nicer to meet people face-to-face. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming along and joining us today. Uh, We are going to talk to you about events, and it is fantastic to be back at one face-to-face. I think I've had that conversation with people four or five times already today about how brilliant it is to see people. I've also been to some really good sessions. Uh, The first one, the plenary, was really good. And then I went to one at storytelling. That was really good. The coffee break was really good. (laughs) Right. Over to us, um, and we will kick off with some introductions. I am James, I am Head of Public Fundraising at Sue Ryder, and I also host a podcast on the charity sector called Do More Good. Depending on where you signed up for this one or where you first saw this, you might be expecting my co-host, the dashingly handsome Kenneth, to be stood next to me, and unfortunately he couldn't be here today. But we have upgraded, ladies and gentlemen. And Susie has stepped in to save the day and stand next to me and um, bring some actual knowledge to today's presentation. Hi, I'm Susie. I'm from Jiskimen. Um, and yeah, I've got the Indian Legal Assistance at the Indian Legal Council. I have just literally on I was lucky enough to see Joe speak yesterday about uh, a recruitment revolution that is needed and have caught her this morning over a coffee to talk through her session. Hi Joe, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Good stuff. Why was it that you, you came up with this session and what led to this? 
Yeah, so I've been a recruiting manager in the sector for probably about 10 years. So I've done a lot of recruitment. But last year, uh, my role at Stroke Association was made redundant. So I sort of embarked on quite an intensive period of being a job seeker myself and learned quite a lot about the other side of of the process in a very short period of time. Um, And so since then, I've been trying to think about how can I take those learnings from being a job seeker and all the the stress and uh, time that that takes and make the process of being a recruiting manager nicer for the candidates involved essentially make it a kinder friendlier process and in the hopes that that not only feels nicer for candidates but actually gets us more candidates yeah brilliant so So the experience that you had lent itself perfectly you've got this 360 degree view of the recruitment process from both sides you had to do a presentation on this right i know you're (laughs) a regular on the scene but yeah yeah, this one lent itself perfectly well it just felt really important because a lot of the things that i learned from being a job seeker could be quite easily fixed or improved uh, with a little bit more i guess care and attention paid to recruitment but what baffles me is is why that doesn't happen and i guess my session was around saying this is why it matters and here's how easy it is to make those changes okay so you kicked off with the issues that you uncovered first of which being a lack of time yeah I think recruitment never happens uh, at a good time when you're a recruitment manager Uh, you always want your team to stay happy and chugging along as a complete team forever and then you're on that ticking clock as soon as someone says I'm leaving Mm. Um, so everything tends to happen in a bit of a hurry and we think about the recruitment and the induction as two separate things whereas actually they're both really important and need to be considered as one and we don't do any sort of pre-work we don't spend our quiet time when we have got a full team thinking about recruitment so yeah time's always an issue and it it very much ends up feeling like a bit of an add-on to the job so can be a bit scrappy to be honest you know I've been there when I've not done recruitment to the best of my ability but there isn't really a reason why that needs to remain the case okay Uh, Second up was a lack of rigour. Yeah, so I think this does stem from lack of time. It's very difficult to be challenging yourself, checking yourself, reviewing things, evaluating things if you've got no time in the first place. Mm. Um, But I do think that we need to get better at looking at our processes and asking ourselves, why are we including this? Why are we doing this? Is this the right thing to do? Should we be doing it now? And all those questions are really important. And equally, are we doing enough? Are we doing enough to access the minority groups that we say we want to invite into our workplaces? So, yeah, I think lack of rigour is a real issue, but I do think it also stems from that lack of time. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone listening would have seen the, um, the degree push yeah. <laughs> across the sector. And yeah. why, and I, I've looked at job descriptions that we have. Why? I'm not sure anyone does need a two-two no. to uh, to do a job. Certainly a not in like art history when yeah. you're a community fundraiser. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Yeah, maybe for a chat afterwards, but not necessarily required exactly. for the job. Exactly. Uh, and then the final one that you came up with the lack of empathy. Yeah, so I, I think this really hit me when I was doing the job seeking because. I I was against that ticking clock my role was being made redundant so I absolutely needed to find a job but at the same time you know we were still in the pandemic uh, so the outside world was quite a scary place there was a lot of other stuff going on we never know what our candidates are living with Mm. and I think as recruiting managers we can often forget that and for us it's about what we need from the process rather than how can we make the process easy and kind and fair to the people that are having to do this as a Mm. really stressful yeah, yeah. It's, it's always made me, I'm always really interested in this because we make some of the biggest decisions of our lives you know I don't know buying a mm. house based on a half an hour wander around it and yep. whether or not they baked bread that morning 
and you go for the job interview, which is nothing like the actual no. job that you're going to end up doing for maybe an hour where you get questions yeah. fired at you. Nothing like the actual experience of the job. So no, I agree. And, and that was one of the things that I really wanted to get across in the session was that as a candidate, I really wanted to get to know the people involved behind the process. Mm -hmm. And so with the recent recruitment that we did at Children First, we tried to put ourselves out there as much as possible to, I guess, alleviate some of the questions that candidates might have about who am I joining? What's the culture like? Yeah. Um, how friendly are they? That sort of thing. So we did Zoom Q&As. We put videos out on social media. Mm -hmm. We made our candidates candidate pack really really comprehensive you know shared as much as we could about who we were how we worked what a day in the life of that role would look like all to really answer questions the candidates have before they ask them yeah okay and the first point that you raised about lack of time and how people aren't doing that sort of thing mm. in the off periods when they're not recruiting yeah. and presumably if you're looking you were recruiting seven people I think yeah so, th so that pack about the team is relevant for all of those seven roles that you're making that yeah. kind of induction or uh, information packs about that can be used over and over again absolutely yeah once you start to make these small changes to improve you, it doesn't then go in the bin every time you use it you know you can it's yeah. like uh, incremental gains and that you know you change little and often um or hopefully not often in the case <laughs> of recruitment but you know every time you recruit you change something for the better yeah. and it will stay better yeah Okay, um, and you also uh, created some video content yeah, through that so out cringe. there. On, um, but th I quite like that, yeah. you know, it shows your personality and that you're yeah. pushing to get the right people in. Absolutely, and it had some good engagement. You know, I think we had um, like 8,000 impressions on Twitter from these little videos. I don't know whether any of the successful candidates saw it and thought, yeah, that's the reason yeah. why I want to work there. But if it gave them even just another percent of an idea as to what it would be like mm. being managed by me being a member of the team you know it showed me working from home so things like that I think all help create a picture as to whether that candidate wants mm. to work there or not yeah and we would put loads of effort into a campaign that we were yeah. running arguably this is just as important because you're recruiting the people yeah. that are going to create those campaigns for you so it should be on an equal standing absolutely we're not going to raise any money if we don't have any staff yeah and we're not going to raise as much money as we could if we don't have good staff so yeah. we should absolutely be investing the time and the energy into getting the best people yeah okay and then the other side of the coin then so your experience mm. of job seeking talk to us about that there was a, you were looking at flexibility that's obviously yeah. hot topic at the moment things yeah. have changed in the world yeah how did you find that yeah so flexibility and remote working on a permanent basis was one of my sort of um i couldn't compromise on that i've been remote based for 15 years uh, and that's what i enjoy i know it doesn't work for everybody but i was really astounded by how many organizations even after 2020 weren't offering that um I expected it to have shot up. I mean, it's still better. A lot of places offer hybrid, which is really good for some people. But I had a quick look on one of the jobs boards in preparation for this, and there still weren't that many full-time remote positions. And the thing that really bugged me wasn't the lack of full-time remote. It was the lack of rationale as to why yeah. office-based presence was required. Because organizations need to realize that it may make sense to them but candidates need that rationale because you are limiting your geographical mm. pool of people uh, you could be missing out on the best candidate who just happens to live three hours away so of course they can't come into the office like three days a week mm. so why are we doing that it's so hard to get candidates at the moment why are we putting more limits in yeah. place yeah okay 
And then the time investment mm-hmm. as well, time coming up again. But yeah. the time investment from a candidate's point yeah. of view is massive. It was huge. So obviously my need to get a job factored into this. I had a, a date by which I would be made redundant and I needed a job to replace that. So I applied for 31 roles over a three-month period. So I think I figured out in the session when I was looking back at the notes that I'd taken that it was probably an additional seven and a half, eight hours work every week just on applications, you know, researching the organisation, preparing tasks, preparing for the interview, having the interviews, which was a lot. And it, it's not just the time. You know, I was lucky that my personal situation means I had the time to dedicate to that. But it's also the headspace. You know, I'm still doing a full-time job. The world was still crazy. Like, it's just a lot. And looking back on that, time preparing for the session was like a little bit triggering I was just like oh god because you don't stop and reflect on just how hard it was and of course I wouldn't be the only candidate going through that sort of experience still today absolutely and presumably in a redundancy situation you can be a little bit more open about the fact that you're doing that if you're trying to keep it a secret absolutely extra days work a, a, a week yeah that's stressful really stressful and you know it's very rare I think that people will be job hunting just because they think they've done everything they can do in their current job and they'd love a fresh challenge usually it is because there's some driving force whether it's redundancy or a maternity contract coming to an end or bullying you know unhappiness all of that sort of stuff so we have to appreciate that it's not just the time it's the the headspace as well okay and then talking of headspace, there is a lot out there that you didn't know. The unknowns, mm. as you, you said. The people behind the recruitment process. Would yep. It was, let's say, difficult to find out who was going to actually be interviewing you. Yeah, not many of the jobs that I applied for offered things like an informal chat with the recruiting manager. Mm. A lot of them were being conducted through recruitment agencies. So there always was the opportunity. Sometimes you had to speak to the recruiter in order to get through the sort of first, jump through the first hoop. But they aren't the people you're going to be working with at the end of the day. So even if you're using a recruiter, I would urge recruiting managers to still offer the informal chat because you know it, it doesn't hold you over a barrel. You don't have to interview that person. You don't have to hire them. But it gives that candidate the chance just to get to know the manager the culture again is so helpful yeah okay that makes perfect sense to actually get to know somebody before you you know you're giving them a job based on an hour's Q&A the second thing was about that that Q&A and your Mm. frustrations around expectations and grading and your frustration came through loud and clear (laughs) in the room (laughs) yeah Um, I'll try and turn it down but yeah my frustration was it was never really that clear exactly what the organisation were looking for in terms of you know how are they going to be grading tasks or you know if there was a meet the team session what exactly were they basing any decisions that came from that on and I think this is where it's really easy to stray into some problematic territory as well around sort of that cultural fit that people sometimes say they're looking for and actually that opens up a whole can of worms around are we looking for people that look like us sound like us have the same educational background as us when really we need to be inviting people in with different perspectives different experience so I think we need to be really careful about that and and not having clear expectations and grading as to how you're going to judge candidates leaves organizations open for that sort of question so one of the things we've implemented at Children First following our experience is um, with the panel questions we send panel questions out in advance but we also have really robust grading so it's one to four but what does one mean versus what does four mean and we define that and we can then share that with the candidates but also use that to provide some really robust feedback for them yeah 
Brilliant. I like that. And then a touch of, uh, you just touched on communication as yep. well. <laughs> and I think before we started recording, we both admitted we have been pretty poor at this totally, in the past. Yeah. But obviously, you've nailed that now. You're, you're well. doing a much better job. <laughs> yeah, I think communication was so frustrating when I was a job seeker. You would spend hours crafting applications mm. uh, and then just not hear anything back. And that's really disheartening. And it doesn't show the organisation in the best light. And if we come back to that issue around time, if we try and overcome that and actually invest time, there's no reason why we shouldn't be communicating with every candidate that expresses an interest. So yeah, what we really need to be doing is, is keeping in touch with them throughout the process. So letting people know if they haven't been shortlisted as much as they have, giving feedback, useful feedback, mm. not just oh, you know, somebody else had more experience. Well, in which areas? How can that person go away and use that feedback to, mm. to better themselves? And remembering that these people probably had an affection for the charity in order to even think about working there. So these people are possible volunteers, donors. We need to treat them as such. Yeah, yeah, that was a really nice point. For our listeners, you, you touched on small changes that make yep. a big difference, kind of takeaways from the session. The first one up was, are you recruiting for the right reasons? Yeah, yeah, I think, again, this comes back to rigour. Just because somebody has said, I'm leaving, doesn't mean you have to replace like for like. Mm. There's nothing wrong, you know, obviously personal situation in, in your team dependent, but typically there wouldn't be anything wrong with taking a bit of a breath, a pause, spending some time evaluating whether the role is still the right one. A lot's changed over the last couple of years. Uh, are all the essential criteria still the right essential criteria? Could it be done part-time, more flexibly? We need to make sure we're, we're asking these questions before we then just say, out to recruit. Yep, brilliant. And you mentioned it just a second ago, but sending out the questions up front. Yeah. That was, I, I remember being on a LinkedIn feed about this, discussing whether or mm. not people were going to do it. And actually the feedback from that has been overwhelmingly positive. We yeah. do it. And I've never noticed a problem with it. You get a better conversation. Absolutely. I think the thing that I would say to anybody who's worried about doing it is, what are you hoping to achieve from the, the candidate answering your panel questions? Do you want to catch them out? Or you know, are you trying to get a really good answer from them? Because if it's the latter, send the questions out in advance because it gives people that time to reflect and really pinpoint what in their experience mm. is the best example to share. And it also helps in terms of accessibility. So for people who need that additional time or value that additional time to consider their answers, but also people who use just preferences to reflect on stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then in that panel experience, just improving that you touched on as well. Yeah, so um, there are a couple of good examples that I've seen other organisations do. And, and one of them is um, an organisation called Collaborative Futures, who ensure they always have a non-fundraiser, if, if for a, a fundraising role, non-fundraiser on the panel um, to provide that sort of external perspective. Yeah. And then one of the other things they do is is they don't discuss the uh, interviews after each interview. They wait until the end of the day when all are done and dusted. And then they invite somebody who hasn't been involved in the process in as a sort of external mediator to help aid that discussion, to make it really fair, to ask the sort of critical friend questions, but also to prevent against um, any one panel member sort of overriding the decisions of others, which can happen if you're yeah. a manager interviewing with your direct reports. Yeah, because you're trying to impress there. And yeah. Really, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you finished up with a lovely quote about small acts <laughs> of quiet rebellion. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I quite like that as well. 
I, I think it may be a mantra for life in many ways. <laughs> but yeah, this is to say that it, particularly when I was in a previous post, I wasn't the decision maker on our recruitment process. However, there were little things that I could get away with, trialling or making those changes without asking and I guess seeking forgiveness rather than permission. But once I had proof that it worked, because I thought it would, yeah. one of this was sending the questions out in advance. Um, so I was sending the interview invites out. So I simply sent the questions <laughs> with them and then was able to feed back to HR that that had had a big Mm. improvement so I think even if you're worried about doing it what is the worst that can happen you know as long as you're being consistent across all of the candidates for a particular role and they're all getting the same experience often it will give you proof that some of these changes are for the better so yeah lovely stuff if there are rebels out there (laughs) fighting their own revolution or joining your revolution on recruitment how could they reach you and let you know about what they've been up to yeah so i'm quite active on twitter uh, which is at joe fundraising Um, but they're welcome to contact me at children first as well so i'm head of uh, community philanthropy and partnerships so my email is joe mcginnis with two n's like the drink at childrenfirst.org.uk lovely stuff i'm sure they'll be in touch thank you thank you jimbo is off at the bar which makes a change and means i can tell you about the website domoregood.uk there you'll find profiles blog posts previous episodes and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some vip content in your inbox we're also on twitter and instagram at domoregoodpod plus you can find us on linkedin we've even started a tiktok Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they Shandies? Okay. Okay, city break, beach holiday, or adventure. And then I have to, I have to choose what I'd like. Adventure, always, always. Um, oh, do you know what? Every day of my life's an adventure. It is. Because I just think the world reflects your energy. And I think you actually, if you approach life with a sense of adventure, life gives it back to you. Name and organisation? My name is Lisa Torrens, and I've just launched my own consultancy, Lisa, etc. I have snuck away to a quiet corner of the conference, a little sanctuary up on the first floor to chat to Matt, who is offering free coaching sessions to people over the last couple of days. How's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. Yeah, my company, Matt Midler Coaching, has come aboard as a sponsor of the Scottish Fundraising Conference for the first time. So it's an amazing achievement. I've been on the I've been on the organising committee before and I've been many times um, to the Scott Conf, but also to conventions. So it's really awesome to be on board as a sponsor mm-hmm. and um, really cool to be able to coach people yeah. uh, at the conference. So, yeah, I've coached eight attendees and it's been it's been really awesome uh, hearing from people about, you know, the experiences they've had in the past couple of years and that crossroads that they're at in their mm-hmm. career or in their life. And yeah, the opportunity to support people around, you know, what they want to do going forward is, is a real honour. Did you say just a second ago, this is, you're fairly new to this? You are, you've just launched your company? Yeah, so I launched Matt Midler Coaching um, almost a year ago. I'm a, a furlough coach. I qualified as a transformational coach during lockdown and set up my business uh, last summer, summer 2021. Great stuff. So I, I mentioned that I was coming up to see you and people were really interested and said, oh, I've got to catch him, I've got to speak to him. But you've been booked up. 
You're yeah, fully booked up all day yeah, yesterday. Fully booked. So. Yeah, it was, fun, it was fantastic. So, yeah, I, I was offering um, as a sponsor uh, a number of free coaching sessions at the event, and uh, it was oversubscribed, which yeah. is great. Um, I think what's interesting for coaching, it's very much a growing industry. It's something which is quite common and expected in the corporate sector, but it's not so common in the third sector. Mm. And actually, there are so many benefits to coaching around personally, around your own development, your confidence, you know, whatever it might be for yourself. And um, but also for organizations as well, you know, around retention, yeah. growing future leaders, having people feel really uh, motivated in their workplace uh, and being able to kind of overcome the challenges that are unique to themselves. Yeah. So I really want to actually see coaching becoming a bigger thing in the third sector. And um, and what does a coaching session look like? I've done one. Yeah. I had I was on a course and part of it involved uh, a coaching session. It unfortunately for me it was at nine o'clock the day after the big night out. So oh. I think I got in at three a.m. <laughs> and then turned up for this coaching session with this poor coach who had yeah. just a shell of a person turning up. But it was a brilliant hour. I really yeah. enjoyed it and and learned a lot about myself through the hangover. Yeah. Kind of came through. But what what do you look for in in your time with a with a yeah, so it's, it's really about helping the client um, figure out what's the most important change that they might want to make. Something that they've tried before and haven't been able to achieve or they don't know where to begin. So um, whether that's in their work life or in their personal life, some kind of change that's really important to them. And actually investigating what it means to them often helps you find the goal behind the goal. Uh, so somebody might come with an issue or a topic, but actually there's something even more meaningful behind that. Um, and it's often, you know, as human beings, mm. it's about, you know, we want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. So what's missing in their life? What is the challenge that's getting in the way? Or what is the aspiration that they'd, they'd love yeah. to do, but they don't have the confidence? So I don't know where Well, they begin. just haven't identified what <laughs> it is because they haven't yeah. taken the time to reflect on it, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, it, in a lot of coaching sessions, I would say the biggest benefit is just the time to think. I mean, I, I coached four fundraisers yesterday at conference. For most of them, actually, the great feedback was, do you know, I, I don't sit and have an hour where I can just think through this particular issue or have somebody to talk about me with yeah. who's not going to be interjecting with opinions. You know, somebody that's just going to listen and help me figure out my own stuff. Yeah, It can be really powerful. Yeah, great stuff. And I think you touched on this at the beginning, but it must be quite an honour to see people through that that kind of transition or transformation or getting the new job that they've always wanted or uh, solving an issue for them, perhaps, somehow. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you know that when I come out of a coaching session, I'm just full of energy again. You know, we've all we've all had jobs in our careers where, you know, you get to the end of the working day and and you're, um, you know, you're exhausted and drained of energy. And and for me, there's something about coaching um, when you achieve that change for somebody that impact it's just it, it's so energizing but yeah i mean i've had over the pa- over the past day we've had tears we've mm. had laughter we've had people having real insights and shifts in the way that they think about themselves or their situation yeah. and when you see that moment you can see it in their eyes you know when somebody realizes that something they've believed is true but has held them back for so many years when you bring it out into the light and look at it together and they realize, actually, that's nonsense. 
I can let go of that. And then suddenly they realize, you know, what's possible. That is amazing. Yeah, it sounds like me at the bar last night. (laughs) (laughs) In just a couple of hours, yeah. Um, So this is going out after the conference. So people um, hearing this won't have had the opportunity to come and see you here. Mm. But how could people reach out and get in touch with you and find out a little bit more? Yeah, so you can find out more on my website. So mattmidlercoaching.com. You can also catch me on Twitter at Matt Midcoach and I'm on LinkedIn, quite active on LinkedIn actually. Really keen to hear from anybody that wants to um, make that change. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much. I'll let the next person in. Fab. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Um, so I'm Alison McNaughton from NHS Lothian Charity. Um, right, who would you oh, who would you credit with giving you a chance in your career? I would have to credit Morna Black from the University of Glasgow, who was the research manager there. She took a chance on me when I was just out of uni um, and I started in CrossFit research, which got me into fundraising and got me where I am today. So thank you, Morna. Lovely stuff. Thank you. We've just had a brilliant session with Nick about time management and I think he spoke to everybody in the room about how we can better use our time throughout the day. And you kicked off with a brilliant story about how you might jump in a taxi at 9am in the morning. Yes, yeah, I like that story. I use it a lot where you, 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 the idea is you, you get in a taxi, first question you're asked is... Uh, where are you going? Where are you going? And imagine just going, oh, I'm really busy, I'm already late, just drive, will you? <laughs> get on a fast road, cover as many miles as you can. And you'd get a ridiculous look, like that makes no sense. But we've all done that in the morning. You just get in the taxi and you just start doing stuff. Yeah. Rather yeah. than going, actually, where am I trying to get to here? Well, that was what I was going to lead on to. How, how can we better organise our day? And you talked about non-urgent, important tasks, perhaps urgent and important. And people perhaps thinking, start with the urgent, important. But you'd say not to. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, the, the, the pull is always what's got the most pressure on it time-wise. Do those things first. And and what happens is, as you do that, you just get pulled from one thing to the next, responding from one thing to the next, and you're not really making good, good decisions around. Is that really what I should be doing? Is that more important than this and all that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. So we talk about the ten magic minutes, where you think about your day in advance before you get into the hubbub of it all, and you go right. These are the things that I should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and you were saying how actually the, a good way to approach your day is to bounce between non-urgent important and non-urgent not important. So you're never actually getting into that kind of crisis mode of having to do things that are on the urgent list because you don't get there. Yeah, well, certainly as much as possible. And when you know we live in the real world and something will come up that, that does take you into that urgent mm. like zone, and that's okay as long as you, you immediately kind of you refer back to your plan and you say right let's get back on track with mm. the things that are important valuable are going to help move us forward those sort of medium to long-term things yeah uh, a bit like you yeah use the classroom example you, you go to school and you you scheduled some maths lessons some history lessons rather than just going to school one morning and go ah what should i do today a bit <laughs> this bit of that yeah yeah that was my school day actually to yeah. be honest. Um, <laughs> and then we touched on achieving lasting change and you talked about brushing teeth yes and, yeah. and how we go about that. Yeah, as a frustrated parent <laughs> of three, <laughs> we go, have you brushed your teeth? Why not? The, yeah, the, the, it's about, we talk about building the infrastructure that when we've decided we want to do something different, we want to implement some change, mm. it, it's, you have to, with repetition and conditioning, like the way that we learn to brush teeth, so that by the time we're 15 or 16 or whatever it is, it's a lifelong habit and we don't have to have the post-it note on the mirror or the, the mm. ping on your phone to remind you. 
and say if you want to do something different like planning your day you do your 10 magic minutes and you work out your your high payoff activities and those sorts of things and, y and you do it repeatedly over and over again until it becomes an embedded habit and it's yeah like brushing your teeth and mm -hmm. so it's, it's all about building infrastructure to, to change the way that we think and behave so that six weeks, six months, six years later, it's still having an impact. Yeah, yeah. I've heard people talk about it when you're learning to play guitar. I can't play the guitar. But if you were learning, to, you, you always have it out. So you have it in the living yeah. room, in the middle of the room. You don't pack it away and hide it away nice and neatly because then you won't get it out and practice. Sure. So similar sort of thing, yeah, I guess. Absolutely. You've, got, you've got your plan out in front of you every morning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I stick mine and we shared a bit of a kind of template for doing that in the session. and. Mm stick it on the kitchen table when I get my coffee in the morning before anything else has happened, generally before anyone else is up, that's what stares me in the face. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. How about Norwegians? How do you feel about Norwegians? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this. In the room, it was okay to say, um, yeah, the Norwegians are so annoying, aren't they? <laughs> I'm married to a Norwegian, but they're annoying because they do a lot of stuff better than us. And so we talked a bit about how they, they work less hours than us, typically. They are more productive and happier. And you think that shouldn't be fair. If they're working less and they're happier, surely they're not more productive as well. But in all the surveys that are done, that's yeah. the case. And so this idea of working more effectively rather than getting kind of just caught up in stuff actually has a benefit for us, but also for the work that we're doing. Yeah, okay. Be more Norwegian, yeah. is your advice. Uh, if people want to hear more, find out more about what you were talking about today, where could they find you? All over social media? Yeah, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. It's Nick underscore Howes, H-O-W-E-S. And then I talked about the, um, we do a Foundations of Success workshop, which is an extended version of this. And there's a couple of free places for any organisation to, to jump on one of those and uh, get a bit of a flavour of what we were doing today. Brilliant. Uh, what's next on your uh, not urgent important list? Not Where are you off to? Oh, well, I've trained back down south again this afternoon and, and some, some restful weekend that involves a bit of gardening. Oh, which nice. Which is very much slow, nice. painful, <laughs> but chipping away at it gradually. <laughs> Good <laughs> yeah. luck with that. Thank you very much for your time. Great, thanks. Cheers. Perfect. That was wonderful. Uh, so my name is Ewan, I work for Children First. My question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my, I would love to be a professional golfer. Oh, nice. Nice handicap. Well, at the moment it's seven, but that's going to get me nowhere near a professional world. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, fine. Yes. Nice one. Thank you very nice much. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Thank you. We are mid-afternoon now on our final day at the Scottish Conference and we've just had a session with Mish and Paul about looking outside of our sector, which seems like a brilliant idea. And at the end of that, I've asked them to pick their favourite of the seven examples that they gave and give us, give us one minute to talk through the examples that they gave. So over to you, Paul, which one would you like to go for? Okay, so my favourite one was my first one, which was all about marginal gains. And it was talking about a guy called Sir David Brailsford, who was director of performance at Team GB Cycling. And he basically took them from the kind of worst cycling team the world's ever seen to literally one of the best sports team in the world. And he did that through a number of ways, but the main way was introducing a kind of mindset and method called marginal gains. And marginal gains is all about making those 1% improvements on a regular basis and doing that again and again and again and kind of over time it can make a really big impact and my favorite marginal gain was he had a surgeon that came in and taught 
the riders how to wash their hands so then you know kind of pass on any germs so you know that alone won't you know kind of make a difference but actually when you add up all those one percents you can then get gold so that's my favorite one yeah and there was um i think clive woodward adopted this as a, as a concept as well and he said we didn't get a hundred percent better at one thing we took a hundred things and did did them one percent better each. And yeah that was really nice yeah. and you also challenged us didn't you we've got three weeks to go back into our organizations and, and improve income by one percent i think that's the challenge yeah so um you've got four weeks to improve your income by one percent Feels, that feels like a target that I could maybe hit for, for a true change. Yeah. Uh, Mish, over to you. Which example would you like to tell us about? So I'm going to talk about um, a Weetabix campaign that's called Bix and Beans. So it was basically combining Heinz baked beans on top of Weetabix and it built out from their long running um, campaigns around any which way a Bix really about driving engagement, driving awareness and getting people talking about this weird and wonderful way that you might eat your beans. What I like is that it was really low cost, so they only spent £5,000 on it, didn't have any paid social. They got absolutely massive, massive engagement, not only from their consumer audience, but also from lots of other brands. So Domino's, Specsavers, Ford UK, NHS, all retweeting, talking about it, etc., etc. They ran in-store campaigns with Sainsbury's, actually, around Valentine's Day. Recreate this breakfast, beans and Weetabix. It's going to be really romantic, which <laughs> is just wild, isn't it? But actually, they had a 15% increase in their sales over the Valentine's period, which for what is actually quite a boring breakfast cereal, I do like it, but it's boring, is just absolutely amazing. The secret of their success, they say, is that internally they have this culture of bold thinking. So they have this this mechanism called brave spaces where any employee can go and talk to a senior leader about an idea that they've got the madder the better really and uh, so i think that's really important we just don't give ourselves time to let our imaginations fly and and really think about how we could do something quite different uh, for our brands and for our fundraising so that's the one that i liked the best it was brilliant i really enjoyed the session and the, and the seven examples you gave were great for us to look outside the sector we, we always um, are brilliant at collaboration and sharing our learnings within the sector but it was really nice to spend an hour looking outside i've got yeah. one more question mish have you tried it <laughs> no, I haven't. I do really like Weetabix, but I'm a purist. Weetabix and milk, that's all. I don't even like the ones that you can buy that have got fruit in them. Yeah. Don't put honey on them. Don't all of that. No. Oh, my gr my gran used to do, um, if I ever stayed at my gran's house, we had brown sugar on Weetabix, and oh. it was a real treat. It was yeah, special. Just milk. Just milk. <laughs> Thank you both very much. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> You're listening to the Do More Good podcast coming live from the Scottish Conference in Glasgow. There's nothing horrible in Are you sure? There's nothing horrible. I mean, he would, but there's not. He would. So name an organisation followed by the cast. Hi, it's Pauline Beatty from Conference Care. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh my God, oh my God, who? So, um, in light of recent nostalgia, if I'm going to do a complete flashback, it's going to have to be Kelly McGillis because I've just watched Top Gun. Yes, yes. Great show. Great decision. So we're in the final session of the day and I noticed that sat in front of me was a friend of the show, Veronica. And the last time I saw you, we, I, you witnessed the fact that I walked onto the dance floor last night using both of my moves and the <laughs> DJ immediately decided that was it for the evening and to cut everything short. 
Yeah, it's actually true. <laughs> but it's because they were just so good. There were just no more moves for anyone else to show. So there we go. Thank you very much. You have just rescued that <laughs> for me. You've just finished giving your presentation. How did that go? Yeah, I think it went well. As I said, no one, no one walked out, which was a good sign. It was all about the exciting future of small business fundraising in Scotland. We talked about this on the show not so long ago, a whole episode dedicated to it, so go and check that one out. But if you're going to give people two or three takeaways from your session, what mm-hmm. would they be? Uh, biggest one is small business is are not measured on income. So they're measured on size, whereas charities are measured on income. So there are, oh gosh, how many? 98% of businesses in Scotland are small. It's about 300,000, and they're only 2,500 large ones yeah everybody focuses on building partnerships with the large ones but look at the uh, ocean in front of us you just dropped an amazing figure on us before we started recording about how much that is worth yeah so in the uk there are just over five and a half million small businesses and they bring in 2.3 trillion pounds to uk turnover per year so the opportunity there is massive but we still Mm -hmm. keep Mm -hmm. going after the same big names exactly exactly If people want to find out more about sales fundraising, they should obviously go and check out our episode. But They can. Where else should they head to? Uh, They can go to our website uh, or they can connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's either www.toworkforgood.co.uk or my LinkedIn is Veronica Bamfordine or Twitter, vbam22 or workforgood, workforgooduk. I don't think I have any more to list off, I'm afraid. But uh, just come and chat, really, just chat. I like talking, as you know. And what are your plans now? Final session done, an exciting weekend ahead? Final session done, uh, going to move to a different hotel and spend the weekend in Glasgow. So rather excited to check out the uh, nightlife. Nice, enjoy that and we will speak to you soon. Thanks James. So name an organisation followed by the card question and your answer. Ready? Here we go. Loretta Brashani Murray from Exorcism. And the card is. What is the best advice you've ever been given? Do what makes you happiest in life. What's going to make you happy this evening? Dance floor or bar? Oh, dance floor, definitely.
Hi, I'm Colin from Erskine. Who would play you in the movie of your life? I think it would be Tom Cruise, because he he is an all-action man. He can do his own stunts. Good. Do you do all your own stunt work? I do all my own stunt work. I've got the hair. I know how to mix a mean cocktail, but I don't know how to fly a fighter jet. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. Thank you very much. Some truly remarkable partnerships to celebrate the achievements of. Congratulations to all that were nominated. So the award for Best Partner Relationship, Corporate Trust or Major Donor goes to... Edinburgh and Lothian. <laughs> So we're at the award ceremony and I've witnessed one of the most wonderful celebrations of an award that I have seen, Dancing on the Table. And I am joined by... Two Edwards from NHS Lovian Charity, formerly known as Edinburgh Lovian's Health Foundation. Brilliant. And they are the winners of the best partner relationship this evening and they have been dancing around backstage. Can you just tell us a little bit about the partnership first of all? Yeah, sure. I mean, this was an incredible partnership just born out of such goodwill from a local football club, Hibernian FC. You know, at the very start of the pandemic, they really got behind us and just decided that they were going to work in partnership with us to raise money to support our work to enhance the work of the NHS during the pandemic. At a really difficult time in terms of our journey, we were just starting out as a charity and as a, a fundraising team. You know, to have this partnership, which was the first of its kind for us ever, was incredible. And they really got behind us. And we raised around, I, I think, about £43,000 in the end. But they really got behind us. The fans got behind us. The club got behind us. The staff got behind us. And uh, just before I let you go, the team were just dancing around you, shouting, shots, shots, shots. <laughs> that <laughs> so <ain't> I, guess, <laughs> I guess we know what's in store this evening. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so much celebration and jubilation in terms of what we've achieved today. And, you know, I can only say a huge thank you to the team for getting behind this partnership but also to the club for all that they've done I mean we it's just amazing that we've been able to get this award tonight so Brilliant. thank you lovely stuff we'll yeah. enjoy the celebrations on the dance floor thank nice you. one thank you thank you so, much. so it's Tony Banks from Think Consulting Solutions what's the first thing you're going to tell the team about when you get back I think the first thing I'm going to tell the team is that tonight when I was hosting my award category I got told I looked like a Strictly Come Dancing judge, uh, apparently Len Goodman. And the best, well not the best award, but you know, that award like the Oscars when you get to the best picture. Alright, the fundraiser of the year, and it's going to be presented by Kirsty Connell Skinner from the Scottish Conference External Panel. We're here folks, the final award of the evening. Um, for those of you that don't know me, well done. It means your fundraising is legal, open, honest and respectful, so thank you. <laughs> I'm Kirsten Connell Skinner, I 
have the great privilege to be the chair of the Scottish Fundraising Adjudication and Standards Panel here in Scotland, um, and I'm delighted that I'm credited in their booklet as a boring engineer, so thanks for that. <laughs> Final word of the evening. The award for Fundraiser of the Year celebrates the achievements and great input from one individual. The award of Fundraiser of the Year, I'm delighted to say, goes to Lara McDonald. <laughs> hoping that we caught that on the microphone as the announcement for the fundraiser of the year was awarded and I'm joined now by Laura who picked that up how does it feel unbelievable like I say I am known as someone that is a bit of a chatty Cathy but yes I am definitely speechless this time totally unexpected but just to get recognition from your team in the first place is incredible but to actually receive the overall award is yes quite something. Great and you, you were just telling me just uh, as things were calming down backstage that you didn't even know that you were you were nominated for this until a couple of weeks ago? Yes yeah, so my boss's words were I've got good news but you're going to hate me so I didn't quite know what that meant but yeah she told me that she had put me forward and I had been shortlisted but again I didn't realise that was a final three but yeah you just never come here and expect to receive anything like this. I've been doing fundraising now for over seven years as a career and yeah this is just an absolute career high that I don't think I'll come down from for quite some time. Good for you, excellent stuff, nor, nor should you. Um, I was just talking to some of the judges and they said that not only is this brilliant for, for you and for the organisation that you work with, but they were saying how brilliant it was and as an example for young fundraisers coming through and how you've really inspired other people. It's difficult for you to answer a question about that one and be modest about it, but like, if, you, if there's somebody new that is coming into the sector, uh, if they are going to follow in your footsteps, what kind of traits would you say or behaviours should they follow? I just always think you need to be as personable as you can. And I think a huge lesson I have learned is don't be easily intimidated. You know, I have went quite big with the partners that I have sought after, the likes of Primark, Loganair, ScotMed. They are names that you could easily be quite terrified of and, and maybe not even think to, to go forward for but really they're people at the end of the day you are selling them a charity it's the best thing you can sell somebody and um, people are beginning to come out now and you are going to be mobbed by your colleagues and friends I'm sure who are just behind you one final thing celebrations tonight we're going to go big oh my goodness I know I was going to be getting picked up after this but I don't think I will be now I think I'll need to tell my boyfriend that I won't be home till late oh my goodness you can relax now and go and enjoy that champagne nice one thank you for joining us thank you so much Thank you. <laughs> I'm Gerald Richards. I'm a director of B&G Partners, and I was the host of tonight's Scottish Fundraising Awards. The question, what made you want to come to the event this year? I am a fundraiser. I've always been a fundraiser, and I think this awards and anything that celebrates fundraising and fundraising excellence is fantastic, and that we're not celebrated enough for the work that we do, and so that this event actually happens every year is fantastic and I want to be part of it. Yeah, it was fantastic this evening to see people being celebrated in the room again. It was brilliant. So thank you for hosting. It was really well done. You're very welcome. I had a great time. It was really good. Outfits, sparkly shoes. It was fun. 
It was we, fun. Well, you should talk about your outfit. You've gone big tonight. Oh, I went all full on. I've lived in Scotland for five years. I was like, let me wear the whole kilt Highlander ensemble and see if I'm going to host. Go big or go home, right? Well, you went big and it worked. Nice one. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Okay. Sorry, should I go? Okay. So my name is Ben Payne. I'm a director of an organization, consultancy called P&G. And the question is, what is the worst job you've ever had? It wasn't a job. It was volunteering when I was probably about 16 years old. My mother was a secretary in a hospital and she thought it would be a very good thing for me to volunteer to be on the wards and help out with the old people on the wards. And they maybe, they asked me to cut a man's toenails. <laughs> That's the best thing ever. And they had to stop me because I was cutting them so badly. I was literally causing him pain. So neither of us were having a good time. We've been doing these for years. I think that might have been the best answer we've ever had. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Right, is our final session and something that's become a bit of a tradition when we come up to Scotland is to do a wrap-up session with the main man himself and we've managed to pin him down and uh, force him to sit down with us uh, to run through the last couple of days. But I'm joined by another couple of guests if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Hi, um, I'm Jordan Bailey. I work for Just Giving. I've been in the third sector since, I guess, birth. I grew up with third sector, but since then moving over to fundraising platforms. Great stuff, nice to have you with us. And I'm Christina McNeil, I'm from Ashby Jenkins Recruitment and a fundraiser by trade long ago, um, and then moved into recruitment within the charitable sector, and we've been around for the whole conference as well, it's been wonderful. Great stuff, it'll be nice to have your opinions on how it's gone, uh, particularly when we have the co-chair of the Scottish Conference with us. Oh, thank you James, it's nice to be with you again at uh, our annual hangout which we've not been able to do for a couple of years now, That's so true. it's great to be back. So yes, I'm Gary Kernahan. I am the co-chair of the Scottish Fundraising Conference this year and my day job is the Director of Fundraising for Children First. Gary, I'm a little bit nervous because I have heard that you are not in the best of moods since you were, um, this afternoon, you were knocked off the top spot with the Johnson <laughs> mailing competition that they're running over the last couple of days. Well, that's fake news, firstly. <laughs> it's fake news. And I know who started that rumour. So for the benefit of people that are listening to this, one of our exhibition stands is set up as a fun fair. So there's all these games that people can do and win prizes. And there is a former member of my team who now works for Mr. James Wright, yeah. uh, who is uber, uber competitive. I think she won the prize for the Stacking Cups, that prize that every conference delegate strives for. Yeah, and it, um, for those of you that don't know, the, the uh, conference is set out over a hotel, but I think everybody in the hotel heard her celebrations when she, when she <laughs> topped your score. I'm sure most of Glasgow heard that, <laughs> that <laughs> cheer. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, so, for me, I have loved being back in the room with people. Don't know about you guys, but coming back, this is the first face to face thing that I have done since whenever it was. But I've really enjoyed being back in the room with people. How's that been for you guys? Yeah, it's been amazing. I've not been at a conference like this. Well, it probably was one of the ones in London 
years ago. So actually seeing people face to face. I know there's been it with Jordan. You were saying that you've not you met some of your team for the first time here. So not just from a like wider networks, but also yeah, our immediate staff. We, we're not all going back into the office all the time. So it's really nice to have the occasion, and of course to do it in a friendly place like Glasgow, like Scotland. Then people are all talking to each other. It's just a buzz. It's been fantastic. It was 932 days have passed since the last time we sat here, James, to the start of this conference. So it's an awful long time. And I I think uh, there's a place for all different types of events. There's a place for in-person events. There's a place for virtual events. And there's a place for hybrid events. And not every event has to be everything. Because there's nothing worse than going at a hybrid event, which is really poorly delivered. Mm. And we know that we are really good at in-person events. And that's what we like to deliver. We had 400 people here yesterday, 370 people here today, 300 people with us last night to celebrate. And yesterday morning, I did a a welcome session for people that were attending the conference for the very first time. And there was 80 people out of those 400 people that had never been to to a fundraising conference before. And throughout the event, because it's important to share the learnings that we have, we've recorded our plenaries and released them free on the CIWF Scotland social media platforms. We've had talking head interviews go out over the course of the two days. We're recording some exclusive Ask the Expert room tables, which are also going on to our social media. And of course, we have the our fav- everybody's favourite podcast, the Do More Good podcast. <laughs> Shama, thank you very much. Um, yeah, no, that, that's really good to hear that there are first timers coming. It's not just the people that had been before from 2019, 2018, and, and beyond coming back. Actually, it's, it's new kids coming in, which is great to hear. I'm certainly not knocking online events. There's, as you say, there's certainly a space for that. But some of the beauty of being here over the past couple of days has been the interactions in between sessions. Mm-hmm. So me rushing around with my bag full of microphones <laughs> on the way, and people spotting me and desperately trying to, they're kind of diving to the corner so that they don't get picked <laughs> upon for uh, a quick interview. But jump, bumping into people in between the sessions, actually... That's part, that's part of the best bit. That's kind of, I really enjoy that. And the, yeah. uh, One of the bits that I've loved seeing is, you know, maybe somebody's done a talk and people have approached them afterwards or at the coffee break and said, you know, I, used, I really like that thing you were talking about. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? And one of the challenges we've had is finding a quiet, a relatively quiet spot that we could sit to talk about this because <laughs> the, the noise, the chitter-chatter, the atmosphere... Uh, throughout this event's been amazing. I mean, that's one of the things I've totally loved about it. Yeah, I don't know about you two, but I've never been to an online conference where I've ended up chatting to somebody new that I haven't met before. Whereas um, you've you've now got a new friend for life, and he tends to be holding a microphone. So it's been lovely to meet you two here. Yeah, absolutely, and likewise, because uh, uh, my colleague Ashby has been a guest on your podcast. So James, I only knew your voice, and then to be able to be here, put a put a What's face a to the name. Hey, the hey, now. <laughs> um, but it is, you, know, you did, and it's the same with like Jordan. I met last night, and you get you have conversations that I I understand with virtual events. Obviously, the accessibility is so important for so many people. But getting to know someone and having a conversation, I don't know how that could translate in a purely virtual way without it feeling like a big, can we, shall we uh, go into a breakout space on Zoom? It just, it's a, a different interaction and it uses different social skills as well. And I think it's been so lovely to have so many people around. Absolutely. And this is such a friendly conference. Everyone 
it's really warm and inviting because we realize we're already warm and inviting people. We're all in the third sector at FA. Once you really get to know people, you're sitting down in a, in a session perhaps and you don't know anyone. Someone just turns around to you and asks you, oh, what's your name? What do you do? And that's really nice to be able to just spark a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And Gary, how has it been then pulling this one together? So it was delayed twice, I yes. believe. So have you kind of had to roll speakers over and, and kind of keep them engaged, run a lovely stewardship program for them to keep, <laughs> them keep them interested and make sure they're still coming along? Or have you brought new people in with new content? Yeah, probably more of the latter. So this is certainly third time lucky. I've been involved with the Scottish Fundraising Conference for a long time now, maybe 2014, 2015, I think I first got involved with it. You know, I absolutely love it. I was the chair of the event uh, previously, but this year has been the hardest one that I've ever been involved with organising. We normally launch this event. It's normally held in October. We normally launch it in March. So you remember what happened in March of 2020. We had a programme sorted. We had our sponsors in place. We were about to launch the event, and then the world got turned upside down. We eventually had to postpone the event and then postpone again. But every time we postponed it, it was going to the speakers, going to our, our partners, our sponsors, to let people know this is what's going on. And, like for example, we've got 48 sessions here, two plenaries. We had 26 partners. That's a lot of phone calls. That's a lot of emails to tell people what's going on. And when you set new dates, people's circumstances change. Some businesses went went bankrupt and we lost partners because of that. And it really, if I'm honest, it was only maybe February, March that we were we started to become more confident that this event was going to actually happen. Yeah. As we did think, you know, something else might happen. We were saying in the lift uh, on the way here how, how smoothly it's gone. Considering there have been so many false starts with it and you're, you're dealing with a new environment, actually it's gone really well. Feels just like it did in 2019. You know, it's it's almost like it was ages ago. At the same time, feels like it was yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. It's really kind of you. I wish I could take all the credit for it, but we've got a brilliant events team that deliver the event. We've got a team. You know, the committee. They're all volunteers, like myself, and then we've got vol- people that volunteer on the day. The folk you were seeing about the place with the blue t-shirts on that help to direct people and get the rooms sorted. And it's just been a mammoth team effort to, to deliver yeah. on it. Um, one of the best bits was the award ceremony last night. <laughs> I think we were all there. Yes. Uh, it went on, as, as is tradition, until the early hours of this morning. <laughs> I, I, I must say, I feel like the stamina wasn't quite there this year. People are out of practice, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's right. There's people who clearly need to get into training for 2023. <laughs> Again, but what was just so lovely was uh, something that you know Jordan touched on. You know, people were sat beside folk at dinner that they hadn't met before, or folk that won awards or were shortlisted for awards, being congratulated, and conversations starting to break out about the place, and just this really nice buzz about the place. People just really happy to be here, excited to see colleagues and make new connections and just to see how resilient the sector is I can't believe when you're listening to the awards that were given out, even the nominations that were given out, I mean the fact that in spite of the biggest adversity our generation has seen economically and socially, people are coming out and having all these great ideas, wild Totally. One of the awards that really struck me is when you heard about the events that took place. So we had some really great examples. Obviously, the winner was the St Andrews Hospice Ball, which happened earlier this year, which I think raised about a quarter of a million pounds. 
which was exceptional in organising a really short window. But we had the National Heard about the National Trust for Scotland and how creative they'd been to put on their Burns events, and the Rangers Charity Foundation that were using their their um, big sleepouts at Ibrook Stadium to raise money for uh, Glasgow City Mission, a homeless shelter. Uh, it was just re- the creativity. And it definitely came through as well with the, the award winners, the recognition of the other charities, of the other initiatives and the other teams. Yes. I don't think there was a single acceptance speech that didn't give recognition somewhere else as well. Yeah, it was lovely seeing them win. I was, I was sat on the table next to one of the winners and they did not hold back on the celebrations, which I always like. Don't be, like, don't be modest about it. Okay, go big. And they jumped up. They were, they were almost on the table celebrating. <laughs> which I'd love to see, and I caught them afterwards for a little chat. Talking of awards, we are going to move on to some of the the most prestigious awards of the last couple of days, and you three, as the judges, get to decide who is going to pick up virtual trophies for your best sessions over the last couple of days. Uh, There's no limit to how many you might want to choose. You can pick a couple. But is there anything that you have seen that you want to uh, give a quick shout-out for? I mean, this has been a very, very hard one and I I think we're all passing the mics around to each other so that we don't have to be the first to go, but I will try. Um, So one of the ones that's really stuck with me and actually inspired a lot of uh, thought and opportunity of how that could work for the future of fundraising was uh, session two yesterday um, in the Imperial Suite, community and events, um, which is who is your supporter, an original approach to relationship fundraising. Um, It was Ollie and Karen Lee that one and it was very much about personality types and the fact that we are dealing with a plethora of people of motivations of interests and how that sort of color wheel of uh, extroversion versus introversion and being a thinking person and a feeling person and that we all we're all on different bits of the spectrum but the fact you can kind of separate that down to quadrants and it was talking about communication with these people how they want to be communicated to how they want to be asked for money how in this world you try and build one communication or one newsletter that's going to work for everyone um, when we don't have plenty of time for all the segmentation in the world. But it was, I would say, it in the fact that I have always considered that we're all unique, beautiful butterflies and realised that we're all quite basic. Uh, I am kidding. Um, but it, it was, you kind of see yourself on the screen and think, I've never thought about that, but that is how I talk. And if I'm speaking to someone from a different one, they're not going to receive the messaging the way I think they would receive it, because yeah. that's how I'd receive it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, really, really interesting talk. So if there's any recordings of that one, I would say try and find it. Okay, great. This is a tough one for me um, because I'm involved with putting the programme together. Because you didn't have one this year, so you don't know who to vote for. (laughs) I'm like a ninja in the shadows this year. Um, uh, I'm lucky enough to be involved with putting the programme together, so there's some great sessions that we sort of booked because I thought the learnings would be immense. So we had a session on pivoting your event programme, which the Rangers Charity Foundation did. I think they actually raised more money from the pivoted events than they would have done oh, if wow. they'd actually ran them wow. as planned. Well, there was a support care session with WWF UK. Um, we had Carla Miller delivering a session on influence and impact for female leaders, which was really well received. There was a session on leadership during the pandemic, but I'm a wee bit biased with the one I'm going to pick, okay. James, which was uh, Joe McGuinness. A member of the Children First team who ran a session on uh, uh, titled We Need a Recruitment Revolution and talked about ethical and inclusive recruitment and shared 
uh, you know, I think she showed a real vulnerability in sharing the experience that she'd been through and how difficult that was, the hoops that she had to jump through when uh, applying for, for a job and challenged us to think of it, you know, put herself as a recruiter in the shoes of the candidate more. Yeah, we featured that earlier on in the episode because I was in that session and, and grabbed Joe at the end and said, "Can I can I take ten minutes of your time?" So yeah, that was a that was a star. Uh, I had a couple favorites, but <laughs> so it was really difficult. <laughs> you didn't hear my voice there because I was right looked at my notes trying to decide which one I think. Um, it went down to the wire. Oh, it went really down to the wire with this. It one. was a buzzer beater, but we got there in the end. Um, I think my favorite was definitely learning from other sectors. That was one of the think um, one of the think sessions with Paul and Michelle, absolutely fantastic. Had a great time learning about how other sectors, like notably housing estates and you know, actual commercial companies, how they use marketing, how they make an effort to reach out to supporters in a different way. I think that's been kind of the theme of the past several years is thinking creatively, getting outside of the box and doing things in a way that might scare you and maybe doesn't feel as on brand as it was initially, but it's important to have those brainstorming sessions, to do that research and figure out how people now want to be addressed. One of the great things about that session is Paul used to work for Camden Council and he was responsible for customer service at Camden Council. So talk about a thankless job. Yeah. Uh, and he's, his works came from the starting point of saying, if you assume that nobody wants to contact the local council, and then build from there so you've got to make it as easy as possible as simple as possible as efficient as possible and look at it that way he was flagging up that sometimes as charities we um, we don't often get honest feedback that people are quite often quite nice to us in their feedback whereas actually we want we want what they really really think he said there was no such problem with Camden Council not such an issue Okay. Uh, how about learnings? Is there anything that you have learned over the last couple of days that you're going to be taking back into the office? Anything that you're going to be telling your teams about when you get back in? Well, I did. I think you were in the session um, today, Who Stole Your Day, which was a fantastic session. Um, and for those of us who are aware of the, the, the disruptors that can appear on a day that you will be, you will not stop, and yet you'll get to the end of it and think, I did nothing of what I intended to do because something's come in and I've made that a priority. And sometimes that's justified, sometimes it isn't taking control. So that was one that I really think I'm going to try, try and implement myself, but also a learning that I'd love to share um, and that how that feeds into communication, how that feeds into who we are and what we need from other people and when, and demanding their time and whether we need to, Yeah, um, I think for me. Yeah, that was a great session. I, I think I've learned a ton about the charities that I'm working for, just giving and talking to charities every single day, but it's a 2D space in a Teams meeting, and so you don't get in front of people and really get honest feedback of what is it that we're all needing, what is it we're all struggling with. And those are the things that are really important when you look at moving forward, especially with the world of online donation. Because it's such a strange hybrid landscape that we're living in, how is everyone else moving and changing? What is there that I need to learn from the charities that are here at the conference? So it's been absolutely wild with knowledge. Um, you, um, Jordan, you also gave up drinking five months ago and have stuck to that, despite some... Despite some quite serious um, uh, temptation last night, I'd imagine, when the tequila, tr the tequila tray was coming round, you did very well. Um, I imagine you've also learnt a lot about some of your clients uh, from the chats last Definitely. night. in the I say, James, I don't know if you drinking was tempting me into drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's another five months that you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah.
Gary, anything you'll be taking back to your... I mean, most of your team are here. Yeah, I mean, that's been wonderful. And so many of our staff that are here are new to the sector. Because the recruitment campaign I mentioned earlier on, there was eight vacancies we had, and seven of them have been filled with people that are new to fundraising. Great transferable skills, great uh, previous experiences, so new to fundraising. So today is about teaching that technique and art of fundraising. So it's been great for them to have that opportunity. There's a session happening as we're speaking, which is about agile product development. And when I reflect back at the success that my team had during the the early days of the pandemic, we were nimble, we were agile, we were creative, we were focused. And I think there's a little bit of that being lost as the world opens up again, normality, if I can call it that, returns and that um, minimum viable product testing, we, you know, perfection doesn't need to be achieved in everything. Sometimes just good enough is good enough, and let's mm-hmm. test some stuff and roll with it and be creative. Take a chance, give people permission to try. Best of all, if it works, you get to come and come here next year and talk about it. Right? Absolutely, a what a prize! Yeah. What a prize! <laughs> Great stuff. And we haven't yet wrapped up on 2022. But if people are keen to come in 2023, when do we? When do you open for entries? Or pretty like soon, I think the date is the second and third of October, 2023, at the same venue at the Double Tree by Hilton. Okay. Again, and uh, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing a public call for speakers soon. We'll be looking for more people to get involved with organising the event because we need some more people on our organising committee. Yeah. Something just to say about this particular event uh, in terms of accessibility. We have uh, a lot of people that are attending this conference that are here with paying either nothing or very little for the places. So we have volunteer places, we have a lot of bursary places, our partners, Johnson Mailing and Just Running have bursary places that they pass on. The one we've got is discounted rate for smaller charities as well. So we've got make, uh, there's a lot of spaces we have for people uh, if one of the barriers to entry to an event like this is finances, which when you think about the market in Scotland, and we heard this morning, 46,000 voluntary organisations in Scotland, most of them have an income of under £20,000, so they don't have the financial resources to purchase a, a conference ticket, but there's a, there is an entry point for people that work in those types of organisations to come here. So yeah, we will start planning for this one pretty for 2023 pretty soon. Okay. Journey's home. How are you getting back? I'm going to be busting it back up to Dundee. Nice. Okay. I think you might be home first. <laughs> I'm getting uh, from train from Glasgow Queen Street back to Edinburgh Waverley. Actually, Haymarket's my stop, so 45 minutes is tough, but someone's going to do it. Mm. Well, if it, I live in the west of Glasgow, so I'm ah, about a 10-minute drive right. from here. But that, that's, uh, that's true, but you need to get back to the Johnson mailing stand and try and get back top spot. Yes. So you're going to be here until about one o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, I think if we're talking about Journey Home, we probably need to give a special shout out to Matt Smith from Think <laughs> at, at Innovation Matt on, uh, on Twitter uh, because Matt Smith uh, realised earlier on when he was checking his flight details that he was indeed flying to Gatwick from Glasgow at 9.40pm. Uh, not Friday night, Thursday night, <laughs> as he realised on Friday afternoon. So, yes, <laughs> Matt, we wish you date. well. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're home by the time this goes out. <laughs> <laughs> he will be raging that we've mentioned this, but it's just too good to let pass. It's too funny. 
Lovely stuff. Thank you all for joining us for this wrap-up session, and we'll see you next year. Thanks for having us. Thank you, James. Thank you. That's us for this year. Hope it came across throughout the episode, but I loved the past couple of days. I saw old friends, made new friends, met the aforementioned Matt Smith from Twitter and Travel Fame. The sessions were great, speakers were brilliant, and the tequila made an appearance at the bar. Huge thanks to everybody who spoke to me and braved the cards or recapped their sessions, and congratulations to the award winners and nominees. Apologies to Susie for including your hangover in the title, and our biggest thanks, of course, goes to Gary, Susan and the committee for inviting us to be part of a triumphant return. There was just one thing missing. Kenneth, 2nd and 3rd of October 2023, get it booked in. Look out for our two in-depth interviews from the conference, and we'll see you in Glasgow next year. If you are seated in a front row seat or in an emergency exit row, please place all items in the overhead lockers, as the floor area around your seat must be completely clear. Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode, and you made it this far after all, and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good. Please also take a moment to remind yourself of your nearest exit and review the safety card. Thank you.